eyes bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for gathering us together in the unity of the faith so that we can break bread together, the very bread of life. What a privilege this is, Father. May we never, ever become familiar with it, but rather embrace it for what it always has been, grace, motivated by your love personally for each one of us and as a congregation. Thank you for always being up front with us, Father. Thank you for giving us the convicting ministry of your spirit. And thanks most of all for sending your son to die on a cross to make a morning like this even a reality. We do just ask for blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message titles a continuation. We are getting very close. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he takes the congregation next, but we're getting very close to the end of this particular series. Why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared. This is part 59, and, and we've had several sort of sidebars along the way, if you remember, on specific topics or um, things that really are pertinent to this particular congregation or maybe even our own country. This past week, we all received a pretty heavy dose of authority orientation, um, which is always a good thing. I would say, based on history over the last almost decade now, uh, behind the pulpit, um, it's about every six months, I think, on average. Every, about every six months, we get a, a good heavy dose of authority orientation because I just think it's the human nature to veer away from authority orientation, to stop submitting, to have our eyes diverted away from the authorities in our life. And you're looking at one. You're looking at one of the primary cases of authority in your life. And it's not, this is not Ed. Honest to goodness, it's the office. It's not this pulpit even. It's respect for the office. If I'm not fulfilling my office, then please, by all means, find a shepherd that you believe in that's fulfilling his office. But the respect really is for the office. And then when the man fulfills that office, there's a respect for him as well. And I have no problem saying that. And so about every six months or so, we get a pretty good-sized dose of authority orientation. Um, so I'm not surprised. This is really um, part of the game, if you would. So let's begin our review uh, this way. Up here on the board, I talked about this on Thursday, the ministry. Just think about the ministry um, in general. We were thinking about, even before class started during our announcements, uh, even the support of the ministry, what the ministry is, uh, what it should be to you, um, what it is to me, uh, what our relationship is. I mean, if I'm a grace gift to you, if this office is a grace gift to you, what should our relationship be? Well, guess what? A minister's job is to minister. That's a minister's job, to minister, to administer truth to deliver it up to you faithfully. For example, Galatians 4.16, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Or 2 Timothy 4.2, 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's my job. That's what a ministry is. To teach the truth. To get to the, to get to the bottom of things. And in many ways, to really just, you know, throw the gauntlet down before us all. And say, hey, what's going on in your life? That is my job. That's what a shepherd does. Some people take offense with the man instead of being truly convicted by what he's saying, by what he's ordained to, to deliver to you. That's a big mistake. Some people take offense with, with the man. And that's like, frankly, that's like getting angry with a waiter because the food tastes bad. That's like getting angry. I always get a kick out of that. Why beat up the waiter? If the food's bad, why are you yelling at the waiter? They didn't cook it. Seriously. Why are you yelling at the waiter? You don't have a problem with the waiter. You have a problem with the cook. But it seems easier because of our cowardice to yell at an innocent person who's just trying to do their job than it is to go all the way back to the kitchen and confront the cook. A good shepherd doesn't suppose even that he's able to cook his own meals. In fact, that's the telltale sign of a false preacher. Someone who's saying silly stuff like, you know, I've discovered a new doctrine. Dude, it's 2017. There's nothing new under the sun. You didn't discover a new doctrine. Or... God has shown me something nobody else has ever taught before. If you hear that, run away briskly and do not look back. My job is not to be creative or to entice you, to tickle your ears, to try to prove to you that I'm the best pastor ever, that I'm somehow special because there's nothing special about me. The best thing about me is my humility and my integrity to the Word. That's the very best I've got. And that really just means that I'm a vessel. I'm not trying to be creative. I don't want to be creative. I don't want you to hang on my words. Again, if you ever hear that, run away. However, if a true shepherd administers truth and it stings, consider the following. Remember it was delivered out of love. Should a minister of God's word, when he tells you the truth about your spiritual illnesses and prescribes what the great physician has instructed him to, be thanked or scorned? You might be surprised by people's actions. Should that person be thanked or scorned? All I can tell you is what I told you this past week, that I am here for you, not me. If, if he said, you know, you're done. He said, 10 years, you hit the 10-year mark, you're done. Go write books or something. I'd say, thank God. Some of you are like, oh, well, that's how you feel. I don't want to be a member. <laughs> I'm not here. If I'm, look, look, I'm here for you, not me. This is not about me. I have my own, I mean, I read my own Bible on my own time. I pray to God about my own things. I have my own life. I have my own family. I have all my own stuff. Do you understand? I'm not here 
for me. So you should remember that. I'm here because I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And it really is everything to me. Even though, in all fairness, when I look in the mirror sometimes, such a truth is a bit marred with sin. I'm not perfect. But as far as I desire, as far as my godly affinities go, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. In any case, as I taught on Thursday, we all should have such an affinity for Jesus Christ and His gospel that we think of both of them as ours. That Jesus Christ is your Lord, not just mine. My Lord, your Lord. That personal. That the gospel isn't just the gospel, it's your gospel. You might say it's my gospel. This is something we noted with Paul. Go to Romans 2.16. Romans 2.16. My gospel. Is it your gospel? Do you feel that way about the gospel itself? Is it that personal to you? Or is it just some stale, sterile thing that you've put on a shelf somewhere? Romans 2.16 On the day when, according to my gospel, this is Paul, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Do you see how personal that is? And to amplify, I read an excerpt from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a uh, a sermon on the topic of Paul's love of the gospel. Up here on the board, I'll give you um, the excerpts from it. I read it. I read the whole of it, or at least a a good portion of it to you on Thursday. Charles Spurgeon on Romans 2.16, is not this expression, quote, my gospel, the voice of love? Does he not by this term embrace the gospel as the only love of his soul? For the sake of which he had, quote, suffered the loss of all things and count them but or as rubbish, uh, Philippians 3.8, He goes on, although each word might cost him a life, he was willing to die a thousand deaths for the holy cause. Quote, my gospel, does this not show his courage? As much as to say, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He says, my gospel as a soldier speaks of my colors or of my king. When he contemplated any alteration or adulteration of the gospel of Christ, he thundered and lightened without measure. When he feared that something else might spring up among the philosophers or among the Judaizers that should hide a single beam, Of the glorious Son of Righteousness, he used no measured language. So was Paul gentle at times? Absolutely. He wrote Galatians 6.1, let's say. Restore a person in a spirit of gentleness. He prayed for those that he cared about. He had a gentle spirit. 
But just like Christ, Christ isn't just the lamb, he's also the what? The lion. There's a certain indignation that comes when someone attacks the most beautiful thing to you. Or things plural even. It's an amazing um, truth that we can all gain a lot about uh, in terms of insight into ourselves even. How indignant do you become when someone in your vicinity is um, an affront to the Lord? Or takes a pot shot at the gospel? Or at Christ himself? How indignant are you? We know what Paul was like. He went from lamb to lion. You wanted to see Paul's teeth? Go ahead and try to attack the gospel. Go ahead and try to undermine his Lord and Savior. That's when the fangs came out. How about you? Do your fangs ever come out or do you just tolerate it? Is it easier just to tolerate it? So you can hang around with so-called friends or family or loved ones all day long and frolic in the sun with people that really have no regard, frankly, for the Lord himself. Is it just easier? It wasn't for Paul. He cried up here on the board. He cried concerning the author of such a darkening influence. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Talking about the one who's willing to attack or undermine the gospel. It's what he lived for. So the question that begs to be answered is up here on the board. If that was his heart, what do you expect from a person whose entire being is wrapped up in the gospel? What do you expect out of anyone who lives for the gospel? if and when you, maybe you personally are offensive to it. And I, that's how we started off this morning. If you're a member of this church and you're not supporting it, you're offensive to the Lord. He gives you all these things and you show your gratitude by what? Spending it on yourself? On a $4 coffee? Or a twenty-something thousand dollar car? Or a new apartment? Or a new home? Or some new clothes? Or, I don't know, you keep going. A heck, I don't know. $150 haircut? $1,000 purse? I don't know. A $60,000 gold collar for your cat? I don't know. You people are ridiculous. Right? I'm being serious. That's a complete insult to the Lord. Thanks for saving me, but I'm not going to support your ministry. That's an insult. And I hope to God you realize this morning's message has nothing to do with finances. This is about heart. These are heart issues. What do you expect from a person whose entire being is wrapped up in the gospel? The same goes for any under-shepherd worth his salt. So the friendly reminder from the Spirit up here on the board is true that you are blessed. Never get familiar with the true grace gifts in your life. You can stop right there and ponder that. Oh, and by the way, I am one of them. 
More specifically, not I, but the grace of God with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10. You have lots of grace gifts in your life. And all the Bible keeps saying is, be grateful, be thankful, be grateful, be thankful. Don't get familiar. And you can look in the mirror and say, have I become familiar? Have I stopped showing my gratitude for the grace in my life? Am I a spoiled, rotten brat? Some of you would do well like uh, when um, Job's wife said, curse God and die. And what did Job say? He says, you sound like one of those silly women. Are we supposed to take the good from God and not the, the, the suffering? Are we, are we fair-weather lovers? Is that what really it comes down to? Are we fair-weather lovers? Go to 1 Corinthians 2.1. That's what the Bible talks about. Paul often spoke about such things on his own behalf, about himself. He knew who he was. He knew the gift that he was to the church, to the early church. He knew what he had to administer. He knew what his commission was on his life. 1 Corinthians 2.1. And I guess how dare any of us um, disregard it. Even now, I mean, none of us have met Paul, right? But here we are reading his written word, reading about him, reading about his life. Why? Well, what do you think? 1 Corinthians 2.1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. And here's, really, you could sum up Paul and his presence if he was here even today, but definitely in the early church. He says, for I determined to know nothing. All I really want to know, he's saying, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how much he loved the gospel. That's what he lived for. I just, I just, I don't care what you think of me. I'm not even trying to be smart. I'm not trying to be a wise guy. I'm not trying to, I don't want you to rest on the wisdom of me. I don't want you, I want you to look beyond me. I want you to look at my motivation. What am I doing here? Here it is. He says, I only want to know Christ and him crucified. That's really all I want to know among you. It's the same reason I'm standing here. Honest to goodness. It literally is the exact same reason I, this vessel stands before you this day. I just want to know Christ among you and him crucified. That's it. That's all I care about. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So he was also that example that we've studied out in, in, in the past. Uh, a pastor is also an example. There's a reason why a man like me has been ordained. It's out as an illustration to show the power of God in just one person's life. To prop him up so he can teach you as an example. That's why it says imitate his faith. I'm not all bad. There's a reason. Do you understand? There's a reason. But what you should see in Paul and in any shepherd worth their salt is humility. I don't even want you to look at me. Not that way. 
I don't want you to think I'm a snazzy, well-dressed, smart, you know, eloquent man. I want you to hear what's coming out of my mouth. I want you to sense the very wisdom of Christ coming from the pulpit. I don't want you to rest on whether or not you think I'm some, I don't know, what? Example of the world? Do you hear that rolling thumber? thunder? That was like for impact's sake. Listen. <laughs> so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And before we press on here, let me give you this. Oop, back, hold on. The wisdom of men. This refers to worldly human wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that demands rationalizing instead of faith. The kind of wisdom that looks at the man, not the gift. The kind of wisdom that justifies ungodliness as a result. If you take issue with me as a person, my wisdom, however you'd like to think about it, then it's really easy, isn't it? to justify your ungodliness. Well, you're not perfect. Well, you're not this. And well, you're this kind of a person and you're that kind of a person. And then you, that's how you justify your own ridiculousness. But if you go past the waiter and to the cook, there's no justifying. The fact that you don't like the food is an issue between you and God. But you don't want to go there. So you'd rather be that idiot that yells at the waiter and makes a fool of yourself. And says, you know what? No tip for you. The food sucked. No tip for you. You know that, you know the tip bucket in the back, the little brown thing where you put money in? You know that thing? The thing that pays my salary? The thing that puts these lights on? You know that thing? No tip for you. I didn't like it. You don't have a, I don't take offense to that. God does. God does. That's the same person that yells at a waiter. I've, all, I've actually written a blog on this, I think. Maybe years ago. You can tell an awful lot about a person, how they treat waiters. That's one of the first things I look for in a person. You treat a waiter like crap, that says an awful lot about you. You treat this waiter like crap, I don't even know where to take that. I don't even know where to take that. Some of you treat waiters in restaurants better than you treat this guy. Some of you spend more money eating, going out to eat, and on tips. I bet you if you added up your tips during the week that you've spent on waiters out there in the world, the ones that could care less about Christ, I bet you they add up to more than what you give to the church. Some of you, that's an easy calculation because you haven't been given. The, the, the change you give the Dunkin' Donuts lady is, is more than you give the church for some of you. Do you understand what I'm getting at, people? 1 Corinthians 2.5 So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. As we'll continue to see in our lessons, all power in this world comes from the word of God. This is especially critical to your own understanding of how the Lord sanctifies all of us in time. Up here on the board. 
Sanctification takes power. Sanctification takes power. For God to deliver you from point A to point B, there's some movement, right? I think of even how power and electrical systems work. You know, everybody knows about power. Well, electrons get pushed through, you know, and then they, they light up these filaments that are lighting up this beautiful bald head, right? <laughs> right? There's a push. Do you understand? Somewhere back across all these lines, a generator It's pushing, right? These things is called resistance. That's why they light up. Right? Rebecca's like, Pfft. I already passed that class like nothing. Right? It's, it's power, right? That's why we literally call it power. We measure it in watts. That kind of a thing. Sanctification takes power to deliver you from point A to point B. There has to be some power. And it's not human power because human power doesn't cut it. That's what the Bible tells us. Yet all of us, it's like Paul said in Galatians, have you started by the power of the Spirit, but now you're going to perfect yourself in the flesh? This is how you've done it? You, you, you say, thanks for saving me, but I'm going to perfect it from here? It's silliness. Human power can't do it. It couldn't save you then, and it can't save you now. Sanctification takes power. As the Spirit's taught us, faith is power. You want power? You want to be sanctified? It's faith you're after. Faith in what? The Word. In other words, your faith has to have the right object. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your professors, not faith in your parents, not faith, certainly not faith in your kids, God knows. None of those things. You have to have faith in this right here. That's it. Faith in the Word as the object. Through scriptural analysis, we concluded for the sake of personal encouragement again up here on the board faith is power some of us lack the power to overcome such a much smaller obstacles in our lives comparing to say casting out demons and it's not because God's power is insufficient somehow because he is omnipotent the reason is simple we lack faith the same way the apostles did so there's some encouragement here they didn't pass every test first time out of the gate Neither do we. But if we want the power to pass the test, I mean, if there was a quote-unquote physical exam and you needed to overcome it, you need to do some strength training, right? If you want to pass the test to be able to pay, take, you know, in my case, like 600 pounds and press it over your head, what? It's like 100 pounds six times. Just keep up. Right? If you want to do that, you've got to work out. What do you think you're doing right now? You're working out. He's trying to get you faith. Some of you are in la-la land. Some of you still can't get over the morning announcements because it's you he was talking about. You're still stuck in your own little world. Can't get over yourself. It's the same reason you're in that predicament, because you're self-absorbed. Yeah. To lack faith is to lack power. If power is in the Word, then our faith must be in it as the object. Don't you want to tap that power? Who wants to tap a dead battery? You want your, uh, I almost, <laughs> remember the old uh, little cassette players, the Sony, uh, what were they called, Playmen? No, what were they called? 
Walkman, Sony Walkman. Remember that? Who wants to put dead batteries in a Sony Walkman? You're not going to get nothing out of it. That's putting human power in there. You want to listen to the good music? Put the real power source in there. Put a good battery in there. It's the same thing in your life. You want to live your life in harmony? You want there to be some harmony in your life? Plug into the real power source. Here's Paul's sentiments again, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We looked at some Holy Scripture for additional perspective up here on the board. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Oh, there's some power for you. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made? Look around. You can't take it in. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. That's all the creatures. By the word of power. By the word of the Lord. Talking about power. Hebrews 1.3. And he is the radiance of his glory. And he's talking about Jesus here. In the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. Even physics. I gave you that silly demonstration on Thursday evening. Even this. You ready? Ooh, I cut it. Even that. The fact that it fell at a predictable rate. He, didn't have to, he doesn't have to upkeep the laws of physics even. All things are upheld faithfully by the word of his power. That's how powerful the word is. That's how powerful his word is. Even our salvation, the very miracle itself that establishes our eternal life, is a function of the power of the word. James 1.18, up here on the board. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. You're saved because he said, I choose you. Somewhere in eternity past, he said, I choose you. And that's why you're saved. Not because you did something cool, or not because you, you, know, you believe these words about Jesus Christ or any of that. The Word of God says, unless He draws you to Him, you ain't coming. I chose you, He says. That's the power of the Word. How do we ever turn away from that? How do we say, hey, thanks a bunch? I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> How do we make that argument, even in our own souls? How do we think we're going to sanctify ourselves? Set ourselves apart with a power source that's like a dead battery. That's how powerful the Word is. He saves you, and then He saves you daily. So to address the previous principle, which was this, faith is power, some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives, and it's not because God's power is insufficient. The reason is simple. We lack faith, the same way the apostles did. And again, to lack faith is to lack power. If power is in the Word, then our faith must be in it as the object. The truth shall what? Make you what? Okay, to set you free, a gate has to be opened. You have to be sort of ushered out. You have to be called out. That all takes power. 
it's okay to take that visual and run with it. It takes power. Anything that moves from here to here takes power. Sanctification, by very definition, is movement from here to here. Well, that takes power in both the physical and abstract senses of the word, but mostly spiritual in context here. But this movement takes power. And God is so very motivated to give you that power. To address this principle, we find the remedy. Go to Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. And I, I suppose and I hope really that you've all sort of intimated what the Spirit's saying this morning and are starting to apply these things to your own lives. I mean, everybody in here, including myself, has raging problems. Do we not, honestly? We all have raging problems that we deal with. We all have some kind of an addiction. There isn't a person in here that's not an addict. No, that I'm really convinced of. Honestly, everybody's addicted to something of this world. And it's a drug. And we just like get, we like intoxicate ourselves with it. Whether it's, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's the bottle. No, it's not just the bottle. That's one physical way to point fingers. That's what, you know, judgmental jerks do. This is not about one, this is about, we're all addicted. Our flesh is a complete addict. And what is its poison? The things of the world. Mm. Immorality, lust, sensuality, uh, drugs, uh, uh, you name it. Uh, judging? How about that? Some people are addicted to judging. They just sit on their high ivory tower and look down at people. <laughs> Where's the joy in that? And look what the word says, Romans 10, 17. So faith, you want power? Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by what? The word of Christ. You want faith? You want power? Take in the word of God. Take in the word. Bathe in it. Literally. Bathe in it. Let it wash over you every single day. Lest you go too long and you stink so bad, you've lost the sense. You, have, you know, everybody... Poor Sean. He comes in all the time like after track practice and he stinks. And he's like, I do? They're like, Sean, you stink. You don't know it because you've been stinking for an hour. Do you get what I'm saying? Someone who stinks barely remembers, barely knows that they stink because they've been in their own stank. Right? So the longer you go in the stank, the less obvious it is to you. And someone else has to come in Thank God it's me, right? And say, you stink. Remember Joe? I used to do Joey. Joey, you smell. You smell like the sewer pipe. And he'd be like, what do you mean? I said, because you, you know, you've been hanging around with your buddies. And you're starting to talk like them and act like them and, and, and take on their thoughts. And you smell. And that's, sometimes that's what a good friend does. Just says, whew, you reek. You're like, I do? Yeah. Yeah. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So to remedy your problems is simple. It's the word. It really is. It's the word. That's the most beautiful thing of all. We have the word, no matter what. Nobody can take that away from you. Do you understand that? You could be out in the street tomorrow and... Hopefully you take the one thing. If you're going to run out of your house and your house is burning down, take your Bible. 
maybe take your kids first. All right, whatever. Right? And don't forget the $60,000 collar. Because that's like worth money. Take your Bible. Take the Word with you. To remedy your problems is simple. It's the Word. And by the way, learn to live a life of gratitude. If you really want to be happy, seriously, raise your hand if you don't want to be happy, if you don't want to be content, if you don't want peace in your life. Well, learn to live a life of gratitude. If you want those things, then learn to be grateful for all the little things. I'm serious. All the little things. I mean every little thing. Who's breathing? As far as I can tell, everybody. I don't hear any wheezing, even. I mean, some of you probably are, but most of you are breathing well. Right? You've got nice air-conditioned air, even. I mean, it's even cool in here. It's, like, comfortable. Do you forget? Do you forget? We do, don't we? And when we forget, we lose sight of the things we're supposed to be grateful for. Like the ministry. Like this recurring theme from announcements. When you get familiar, you lose sight of all the things you should be grateful for. And then you stop giving. You stop giving a care. You stop giving love. You stop giving, even financially, to a ministry that teaches the truth, which is really ridiculously rare nowadays. That's how familiar people become. And it takes a good friend to say, you, smink, you stink. It takes a good friend to say, ooh, hey, wake up. You're not living a life of gratitude. You're self-absorbed, aren't you? You're way self-absorbed. You're so self-absorbed, you've actually forgotten your own responsibilities. To the Lord. Imagine that. You've forgotten your own responsibilities to the Lord, the one who saved you. It's unbelievable. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Love, 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 love this passage. Love it so much, I could read it all day. If I was a tattoo person, I'm not, but this would be what I would get tattooed. First Thessalonians 5.16. I don't know where I'd get it, though. Where would I get it? I don't know. Probably on my biceps, so that I could, like, if I want people to really see it, boom! Rejoice always! Mm. These are things I do when you turn the pages. Is everybody there? You can stop listening. First Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. That doesn't say sometimes, it says always. Make that your way of life. Like seriously. Go to bed being grateful. I don't know, maybe it's a little routine you tell yourself. Go to bed and say, I can't go to sleep, I won't close my eyes until I, I focus on one thing that I can be grateful for. And I won't get out of bed in the morning until I focus on one thing that I can be grateful for. I don't know. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Some of you barely pray. Pray without ceasing. In everything, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Does God want you to be happy or sad? Happy, right? So he says, this is my will for you. You ready? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and be thankful in everything. And oh, by the way, when you do all that stuff, all my promises are like right there in front of you. They become real now. Do not quench the Spirit, because the Spirit's right there convicting you. Don't quench him. Don't put out his fire. Listen to him. What's he saying to you right now? Some of you wake up. Some of you keep going with the, on the vector you're on. I don't know what he's saying to you as individuals, but don't quench him. Listen to him. Do not despise prophetic or prophetic utterances or speaking to teaching even, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace, uh, yeah, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, empower you, see, sanctify, move you from point A to point B, from the pit you've been in for the last 10 years to somewhere better. Let him do this thing. But you have to be grateful. Do you see how this passage starts off? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be grateful in everything. See, so many people, they turn to their addictions because they lose sight of things to be grateful for. And then what, when you lose sight of, let's, say, let's go to the far end, of everything to be grateful for, you become depressed. And when you're depressed, it's really easy to turn to your addictions. Is it not? That's like the remedy. That's the human remedy. Ah, oh, man, I'm so depressed. Step back and say, what have I lost sight of? What is it that I've lost sight of? Why am I not rejoicing always? Why am I not praying without ceasing? Why am I not giving every, in everything giving thanks? Why am I not doing that? For some of you, you haven't been taken in the Word of God. You smell, and you don't know it. And it takes a good friend like this one to say, hey, you know what? You kind of smell. I realize you're down and out. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to throw salt in the wound. Honest to goodness, I'm not trying to kick or spit on anybody when they're down. I'm trying to help you up. I'm saying you, gotta, you, you stink. That's why. You don't even realize it, but you stink. You stink because you're not grateful. You're not rejoicing always. You're not praying, at least not earnestly. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete and matured without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Up here on the board, your sanctification. The remedy to your problems is simple. It's the word. Learn to live a life of gratitude, knowing that God has the power to transform you. I am personally convinced of this. Whenever I become an ingrateful SOB, yes, it happens in my own life. Remember, I have my own life. That's when I lose my peace. We just read that, right? The God of all peace will sanctify you. That's when I stymie or frustrate my own sanctification. That's when I have my, my low points. That's when I become personally depressed, let's say. Learn to live a life of gratitude, knowing that God has the power to transform you. Go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. So you see, it's not going to be a swift kick in the butt by your pastor that's going to sanctify you. I am incapable of sanctifying you. The best thing I can do is wake you up with a, kick, a swift kick in the butt. That'll wake you up, right? But wake you up to what? The truth. Because it's the truth that makes you free, not your pastor. 
I'm not coming to you with superiority or fancy wisdom. I'm just coming to you with truth, saying, wake up. This is what the Bible says. If you're miserable, this is why. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is part of sanctification, my friends, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this the best I can. I wrote a book on this called Covert Arrogance. Covert arrogance is the person who's falsely humble. You are thinking more highly of yourself if you, can, if you think you can extract yourself from the pit. If you, can think, if you think that you can ignore what's been coming from this pulpit right now. If you've been playing some justification game or, you know, I'm offended with the bald guy game, that's to your own detriment. But if you think you can circumvent the very power of God to deliver you, to sanctify you, that's your problem. That's not you being humble. Oh, oh shucks, I'm depressed. Everybody weep for me. Uh, I need prayers because I'm depressed. I've been spent my entire life, I'm depressed. Blah, 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 this kind of a thing. Maybe just maybe you're missing something. That's what the Lord is saying to you. That's what the Word of God is saying. That is thinking too highly of yourself and maybe even of your friends for their ability to come along, swoop in like Superman, and deliver you. Ladies, stop looking for the guy on the white horse. It doesn't exist. There's no Superman. Stop looking for him. He's not a, a husband. Don't even get me started. He's not going to save you. It's not a husband's job to swoop in and save you. So husbands, put your capes away. Ladies, tell them to put it away. He's not your savior. The Lord is your savior. Stop thinking so highly. That's what I'm getting at. That's what we call covert arrogance. The one that the world calls humility but in all reality, when you peel it back, is actually arrogance. Because it's really arrogant to say, in the Lord's face, in the face of truth, man can deliver me. Either myself or loved ones, man can deliver me. That's extremely arrogant. The world will tell you, oh, that's humble. Read this book. Or listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil or, or, or some self-help guru. Or, that's all worldly wisdom, is it not? That's all human rationalism, is it not? And the longer you listen to that garbage, the worse off you are. Believe it or not, that's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. That's giving man more credit than he deserves. That's what he's saying. That's what the Spirit's trying to do right now. He's trying to deliver you from that thinking. That there's anything in this world that can deliver you outside the power of God. There isn't. This is the only way. Jesus Christ said it himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. Did he not? I am, he said. Not worldly wisdom. I don't want my under-shepherds. I personally will never anoint an under-shepherd that's interested in being anything but humble. I won't give you those people, so watch out because they're out there. The world will give you them. 
The world will give you them. They're going to chew you up and spit you out. And they're going to say, I'm your friend. They're not. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. The one who's your friend tells you the truth. What did Paul write? What was he writing to Romans? An entire church, much bigger than this one. He said, for through the grace given to me, I say, this is verse 3, to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You've got to get that straight. What does that mean? It doesn't mean some false sense of humility. It means exactly what it says. Don't think so highly of yourself that you think you can deliver yourself outside of the power of the word. Don't think that you can go without this for days even, weeks, months. You can't. It won't happen. It can't happen. Because the power is in the word. That's thinking more highly of yourself. Do you understand? If you're not meeting the fundamental criteria of the spiritual life, that's the problem. That's why you're miserable. He says what? But to think as so as to have sound judgment. Sound judgment is exactly what I've presented to you this morning. That's sound judgment. Sound judgment says, oh man, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm that, because, starting with this. And some of you might hear it and still ignore it. It goes in like, you know, like your parents used to say, that goes in one ear and comes out the other. Right? That's not sound judgment. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Again, up here on the board, the remedy to your problems is simple. It's the word. Learn to live a life of gratitude, knowing that God has the power to transform you. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. First Thessalonians two thirteen. For this reason we also constantly thank God. You see it? We constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And I gave you this on Thursday. That's right. The Word of God is powerful. It performs a work up here on the board in you. The Word of God is meant to sanctify you, make you holy, separated for God's good purposes and time. We call that experiential progressive sanctification. I really don't care what you call it because neither one of those terms exists in the Bible. I'm just saying. They're man-made terms. I don't care if you know these multisyllabic terms definitions or, or uh, uh, what have you, words. I really don't care. It doesn't matter. It matters to the extent I can communicate with you, but that's about it. I don't care if you remember them so you can spout them off at some party. Well, let me tell you about experiential sanctification. Would you like me to slow down for you? That doesn't sound like you're sanctified at all. Well, you might be going in the wrong direction. (laughs) 
If it's not working in you or your life, guess what? Then you lack faith in it. If the Word's not working in your life, if you're not empowered, if you're not sanctified, if you're not being sanctified, if you have no sense of sanctification, something's wrong. That's why lessons like this exist. It's because you lack faith. And as we saw in Romans 10, 17, how do you get faith? By hearing the Word of Christ. Which includes reading it on your own time. That's why. It's not a hard formula. It's got to be a... Just remember this, for the sake of perspective. It's got to be a formula even a little... A, a new believer, say a, a smaller person. I guess some people are this tall and they're full grown, but... <laughs> I just happen to look over there. I'm like, she really is like this tall. I don't know how tall. Well, she's not a big person. Right? I got embarrassed, so now I lost my place. What was I saying? You guys didn't even know. Performs its work in you. The Word of God is meant to sanctify you, make you holy, separated for God's good purposes in time. Oh, yeah. Experiential sanctification, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to have all the big language. If not working in your life, then you lack faith in it. Your faith objects must be the Word. I was supposed to correct that. <laughs> Let's get a little practical about this. On the topic of conviction, some of you are completely convicted right now, and that's a very good thing. Some of you are sort of laid bare, and the God, the Holy Spirit, saying, good, that's what I wanted. It's been a, nut, a tough nut to crack, frankly. Guys, the poor bald guys had to teach on it for a bazillion years now. You might ask yourself, well, how do I know for sure if I have faith in the Word? Easy, you're obedient to it. Yeah. You want to know the litmus test? Easy. You're obedient to it. Why? Go to Philippians 2.12. How do I know? How do I know? Seriously, in your own life. How do I know that I have faith in the Word? Well, one telltale way is that you're obedient to it. That's how. Philippians 2.12. And don't just say, look at me, I'm here this morning. I am obedient. Are you? I mean, I don't follow you around after you leave here, so I don't know, but are you really obedient, or is this just some game you're playing? Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, and I love, 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 love this phrase, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Up here on the board. Much more in my absence. You want to know if you have true faith? You ready? You want to know if you really have true faith in something? What do you do when no one's looking? Do you still obey the Word of God when no one's looking? That's how you'll know. That's how you'll know. If you're only doing something for the sake of public appreciation, 
or a pat on the back or some kind of a religious type attaboy, um, you're totally missing the point. You're not there yet. You lack faith. How do you know you have faith? As Paul said, I love it. As I would tell you right now, I love it when I hear of someone that I never really have contact with living a life of faith. I think of uh, Melody right now. All the stuff she's going through. It's none of your business, but she's going through a lot of stuff. And she's all, she, if you haven't listened to a real talk yet, you should. All the things she's going through. And what I see is faith. She says, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. But in this process, he's increased my faith. Fair summary, Melody? In the process, he's increased my faith. And I can see it. And that's wonderful. Because I don't follow her around. Thank God, right? Thank God. It's that creepy guy again. Don't look in the rearview mirror. That's how you know. When no one's looking. When you're all alone. When the chips are down. Who do you turn to? Integrity functions the exact same way whether the authority is present or not. It shouldn't matter whether you're in church or your Bible is open before you. Your actions ought to be the same. It shouldn't matter. That's how you know. Honestly, this is how you know if you have real faith. Because you do the same things when no one's looking. That's how you know. When no one's looking. Some of you live alone, right? When no one's looking, what are you doing? I don't really want to know, so don't tell me. What are you doing? When you're alone, what are you doing? That's how you know for yourself. I'm, t- I'm teaching you how do you know for yourself. What do you do when you're alone, when no one's looking? That's how you'll know if you have true faith. That's how you'll know that you've been delivered from that addiction. Because Satan's going to continue to put the carrot in front of you, isn't he? Especially when you're alone. Because, you know, two or three cords can't be broken, right? It's good to have at least some friends in your life that you can talk to or reach out to or be encouraged by. But when you're alone, you're alone. It's you and the Word. Just like it was Jesus in Matthew 4. Him and the Word, that's how he defeated Satan. Well, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's what you should be saying. But guess what? You don't know what's written if you don't take in the Word. Oh, there it comes, all the way back down to the fundamentals again. How are you going to say it is written in your own life if you don't take in the Word of God? How do you know it's written? How do you expect to be delivered? I'm going to, in that moment, I'll pray, 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 pray. And God's, and wisdom's going to scoff at you, just like the Bible says. Too late. That's wisdom. You're going to call out to me, and I'm not going to be there for you. Because wisdom takes some time. 
And when you need me most and you, you get down on your knees and you're, you know, oh, God, please deliver me, you know, even though I'm a little hoe and I just come around, you know, when I need you and then you're, you're off and I'm back with the world and I'm adulterating with the world and I only, I'm a user and abuser and I'm only here when I need you. I, it's really important right now, right now. And wisdom's going to go, you had your chance. I tried to give you good counsel. Suffer. Maybe you'll learn your lesson. Suffer. You see, I'm not a bad parent like some of you are who enable your kids and never let them suffer. Oh, but they're suffering. And look at them. I wish Brian was here because he told me a funny story about Sean, you know, little Sean. He's learning. I'm going to tell. Hopefully Brian doesn't get mad at me. He's probably watching. He says to me, he goes, yeah, we go over to my mother-in-law. I think it was his mother-in-law. Hopefully I get the story right. They're up vacationing, and little Sean decides he's going to take a platter and smash it on the ground or throw it off a deck or something and smash it, right? And before anybody can react, he says, oh, that little bugger. He's crying because he knows if he cries before anybody reacts, all the sympathy comes in. He doesn't get in trouble, right? You know how it is, right? All the ladies are like, oh, he's a poor man. You leave him alone, tough man. You just leave him alone. He's so sad already. And he's like, hey, he's looking over the mother's shoulder. Like, <laughs> right? Little kids, man. They're manipulators. And then you know what? They grow up and become you. <laughs> Forgive me, Brian, if you're watching. Probably just butchered the story. The point the Spirit's making, though, is that integrity, look at the point on the board. Integrity functions the exact same way, whether the authority is present or not. It shouldn't matter whether you're in church or your Bible is open before you. Your actions ought to be the same. And I'll begin to close here. An obedient person has integrity. An obedient person has integrity. Integrity what? To an object. But guess what? If you don't have the object, you can't have integrity to it. Therefore, the, the entire power system that's involved in having integrity to the word, the object of your faith, doesn't exist because you don't have the actual object in the first place. The Spirit, I use the analogy, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. He shows up to the job site and says, where are all the building materials? I'm trying to build you up, but you've got nothing I can work with. You've got to show up so I can help you with the hammers and the nails. The Holy Spirit is the master builder, the master teacher, a tutor, if you would. He guides us. He convicts us. But if you don't give him anything to work with, what is he going to build with? He certainly doesn't want to use human wisdom, wisdom that you got off the TV. So I guess in that case, he leaves you alone. And you, don't, you just kind of like stagnate, just kind of, eh. An obedient person has integrity. Think about it this way, and then I'll close. We are all called, as believers, soldiers for Christ in the Bible. Is that true? Yeah. We are literally called soldiers for Christ. What kind of soldiers are we if our commanding officer sends us out to the battlefield 
And as soon as he's out of sight, we find a tree to go sleep under. What kind of soldiers are we if our commanding officer sends us out to the battlefield and the first thing we do is find a tree to sleep under? If your CO, as they call him, says, go fight the enemy, Godspeed, what kind of soldier disobeys? What kind of soldier disobeys? So the answer to that nagging question from earlier, well, how do I know for sure if I have faith in the word? Easy. You are obedient to it. That's how you know. And you know that you're obedient to it because you do the same thing when your CO isn't watching you. You do the same thing when he says, I want you to take this gospel of mine, this precious pearl, and go spread it out to a world, to the far edges of the earth. I want you to do that thing. And if he turns around and you go sleep under a tree, and you wonder why your life is not what you expect it to be, or you wonder why you haven't been so-called delivered yet, or you wonder why you're still miserable and depressed, you already have your answer. You lack faith. If you had faith, you would obey. You would have the same attitude that Paul had when he was matured in the gospel of Christ Jesus. He said, this is what I live for. This is what it's all about. If you had faith, you'd be on that vector. Do you understand? That's all the Spirit's been saying to you. He's not saying, oh, well, listen, because the ball guy just put his foot in your butt. He's saying, wake up because of it, but let the truth set you free. Let the truth set you free. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege to study your word together, fellowshipping in this unique way, breaking bread together. Thank you for being and executing tough love in our lives when required. We know you're gentle, but we know you're not only the lamb, but also the lion. Thank you for sending your son to prove these things to us. Thank you for sending him to share your heart with us. We thank you for the privilege of sharing that heart with others, many of who are still lost. We just ask for your blessings and traveling mercies as we take the things, these things out to a lost and dying world, Father, that need them so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.